This is Matt Shares with SBI, and welcome to SBI's podcast. With me on today's podcast is Kimberly Appleton from On Semiconductor and Chris Friss from Ryder. And the theme of today's podcast is the role of sales operations and specifically the transformation that this role is undergoing and how the demands of this role, both as an efficiency role and in an effectiveness role, are changing. And the reason why I've asked Kimberly and Chris to join us is they both run very large organizations and have varying degrees of experience. So Kimberly has grown up in the technology space, specifically semiconductors, having executed sales transformations in companies like Freescale, IDT, and now at On Semiconductor, which is a $3 billion global semiconductor company. So, Kimberly, great to have you with us. Chris comes from a background of logistics, transportation, supply chain, having spent about 20 years at DHL in a variety of roles, both leading sales, running all global sales strategy, sales operations, and now running that role at Ryder, a $6 billion Fortune 500 company. Both Kimberly and Chris have hundreds of people that they are responsible for enabling, all the way from frontline reps customer service, inside sales, their staffs, and they play this unique role of chief of staff for the head of sales, worldwide sales and marketing in each of their organizations. So both very esteemed and, and great backgrounds. So both of you, thrilled you could join us. So thanks for taking the time to spend 30 minutes with us. Okay, good to be here. Thanks, Matt. All right, so the theme today, as I mentioned, is this whole balance of the tactical demands of sales operations, and then balancing that with being the strategic partner for the head of sales. So we're going to cover this topic, and we're going to tackle this around really a few key components. The definition of the role, the impact on field execution, the use of data, data management, the planning process, and we'll probably finish up with just a few obstacles, you know, things that are standing in the way for sales operations leaders. So the first question I'm going to start with, and I'm going to direct this to Kimberly, is how has the role of sales operations changed for you in the past 12 to 24 months? Okay. Well, I've only been with On for a short time, but as Matt mentioned, I have been in the sales operations in the semiconductor industry for going on eight years now. And I think as the semiconductor industry specifically, we're more than just tactical and operational. And a lot of that is driven by the consolidation in the industry with all the acquisitions of sales and customers. And the role has morphed from being more than just a support function to being a strategic sales enabler. We're being challenged to be more innovative, to try to gain the edge from a sales perspective in a very mature industry of trying to accelerate the speed of decision making. So that plays right into the data topic later on. And ensuring that we extract fair value for our organizations in terms of pricing and negotiations. Mm. So Kimberly, have you, as it relates to that, has that changed how you've either staffed your teams or even defined your day-to-day, -day, you know, and how you've done this? And you've done it at a couple of different organizations. So talk a little bit more about maybe a couple of the big shifts you've had to make. Absolutely. In terms of from a sales productivity, instead of just being a supporter of generating data reports to the field, it's how do we get real-time information into the salespeople's hands for quick decision-making? How do we improve their productivity? Things in terms of funnel management, in terms of account analysis, 
all of that, trying to keep up with the technology and some of the business intelligence tools that are out there, we're continually developing how we can be cleaner, better, faster, and challenging ourselves to be that strategic partner, not just a data provider. Mm. Okay. So, Chris, I'll put the same question over to you. How has the role of sales operations changed for you in the past 12 to 24 months as you were probably one of the earliest leaders of a large global sales operations organization, if you think back to your time at DHL and then now Ryder? Yeah, I think probably the biggest change, and, you know, maybe wouldn't quantify it exactly to 24 months, but certainly the most recent times, is the exacerbation of the need for constant learning. Previously, the role was more around, you know, you adopted some best practices, you got good knowledge on industry information, and you you followed kind of attacked along those profiles. Now, where, you know, the Internet knowledge base makes everyone an expert, I think it makes a, a different demand for sales operations in ensuring that you're on the cutting edge of everything that's going on out there, that you you know, are constantly diligent about the way the sales process has changed to a buyer process, about elements like the challenger or your version of the same, right? How are you going to bring a different view to these now intelligent buyers who don't think they need your sales guys anymore? And certainly the social aspect, which has taken over, I think, in a big way mm. in the past 12 to 24, and, and leveraging that and trying to get the sales teams to wrap around that and understand the value of where it has gone to already and will be going to. Okay. So, Chris, that segues probably to my next question, so I'll start with you and then I'll kick back to Kimberly. It is many of your peers, right, those in the sales operations that are listening to this, are fighting with this whole concept of how do they gain more credibility, right? How do they have a bigger voice? So what advice would you give to them on how to gain more credibility internally and maybe share one or two things that you've done to help sales ops gain more credibility internally at your organization? I'm going to use the word advertising because I think you need <laughs> to do that. You know, you need to get the face of what you are out there. Because I think as Kimberly was saying, there's this view, which I probably in some of the latter questions you'll ask, I'll, I'll try and articulate on if I can, but I think there's this general view of sales operation being this reporting function. And I think it's up to you as the leader, because no one else is going to wave the flag other than you, to get the name out there in another way. And that advertising can be certainly internal, but even external. Take today, for example, right? The opportunity to be able to to get out there and get your name out there. Certainly you can do so through LinkedIn profiles, through blogs, through other items, but I think also involving more functional groups within the company. You know, sales ops always align pretty closely with finance, but I think aligning with HR, aligning with operations, and certainly collaborating better with marketing. You know, I look at the role as being kind of the UN negotiator between the great love between sales and marketing that exists in both in, in most organizations. And so I try and play that. If you look for examples, that's one of the things that I try and play in a big way is to ensure that I try and get the best out of and make the peace there because I think that also gets a much broader exposure in the organization. If marketing looks at sales ops, and says, wow, you know, with sales ops we can get things executed, that immediately raises the presence of sales operations within the organization. And lastly, I'd say try and get in front of 
senior leadership whenever you can, depending on how much your your boss is a glory hog or not. But try and when you come <laughs> up with an initiative or you present an idea, try to get you in front of senior leadership presenting the idea or at least co-presenting the idea so it's seen that, oh, this came from sales operations. Good. This is a great group you have, Mr. Sal Mr. and Ms. Sales Leader. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting and so Kimberly with a little bit of context, you know, that's one thing I think in, you know, knowing a little bit about the transformations you've done where you've had a pretty big voice. So as you think about sales ops and credibility internally, anything you would add to Chris's comments that have worked for you? No, I definitely echo Chris's sentiment. I always like to say there's three sides to every story. What sales says happened, what the BU says happened, and then what really happened. And our <laughs> job is to kind of ferret out what, what's the true reality in between. But I think one of the things that I've always tried to bring with me is the concept of never uttering the words, that's not my job, or that's not my responsibility. And one of the things that I've done just natural curiosity is really been attracted to problems that span other functions and, and been willing to take ownership and take responsibility to help drive that. And I think the more you're willing to reach outside your sandbox and be willing to look yourself and your own organization in the mirror and, and not be defensive, I think that gains that credibility when people see you taking ownership for problems and trying to fix things that span those organizational boundaries. And I've always found that to be pretty successful. And then sticking with facts. There's so many comments that get thrown out that sales operations meetings what we're part of where people throw out information that aren't necessarily backed up by factual data. And yeah. our job, I think, is to really to present you know, a factual situation and kind of peel back the onion because nine times out of ten, when people are involved in that process, you kind of take away some of the defenses. I know data and data management is a big issue for many of your peers. So what I'm hearing you say is, is that everybody makes their sweeping anecdotes about why sales might be making the number or missing the number or the forecast is this or backlog is that. You're bringing the, the reality and the sort of the programmatic way that the business should take a look at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So let's, let's shift a little bit to this whole concept of field execution. And what I mean by that is getting the sales team, so this is specifically on the sales force, to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it over and over again. And why is that important? Because each of you report to the head of sales. And one of the biggest challenges for the head of sales is driving that day-to-day -day execution with key initiatives in the field. So Kimberly, I'll start with you. If there were two things maybe that you do on a daily basis to support this day-to-day -day execution in the field that helps your head of sales accomplish his goals, what would those be? So the first thing, and I spent a lot of time on this question because I really, once again, like to focus more on the strategic than the tactical. So I really spent time thinking of day-to-day -day things that for key initiatives and really the ongoing productivity improvements. We're expecting more granularity in the funnel. We want better account reviews. We, we feel like we're asking more of our salespeople to understand and to measure them closer. But in parallel to that, I've always felt that we need to have some gives and takes. So we need to provide easier tools, take things off their plate in order so they can optimize their face time, free up time to do their funnel analysis, free up time to really understand their accounts. So back again, we're 
my organization is implementing a, some top-notch business intelligence tools to replace the spreadsheets that we've traditionally inundated the field with. And we're finding great success in, in just providing key business information at their fingertips. And I think that it frees them up to really focus on what our, our head of sales is driving. Okay. So, Chris, maybe I'll piggyback on that one more around the programmatic. Do you have a process that you follow when you think more about the sales force being trained and the ability to constantly ensure they're trained properly? Or is that something that you look at more as, hey, that's sales leadership's job out in the field, frontline sales management, second-line sales management? How do you sort of split those items up? Yeah, I think it's a little blend of both, Matt, is what i found to be most successful is to kind of use, you know, involve the next level. So if it's coming down from EVP sales level, make sure that the VPs are involved in the initiative right from the beginning, not only from the idea stage, but from the initial execution stage, and then make sure that they're the trainers of the trainers, and meaning the trainers then become whether there's a director level and then a frontline manager, however that cadence goes, that at the end of the day, everyone's involved in that training and everyone has a responsibility to learn the material and to learn whatever the initiative is or the strategy that you're rolling out. That way they tend to own it more than having it pushed down from my office or having it pushed in from training, which in our organization reports, you know, sales training reports through HR. So I think, yeah, that certainly involving every level that you can in sales leadership in the actual training and ultimately execution and follow-up of the initiative. So you're certainly going to still do some dashboard reporting, whatever you're going to do on the on, on high sales operations level. But if you own it as a single person or a single department, good luck. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I would, if your peers... Right, we're on the phone. I think part of the frustration is great ideas that are centralized or corporate, right, large organizations, and how do we get the field, right, frontline, second line, third line sales management to do it and drive it so that a sales call on a Tuesday afternoon is happening the way it's supposed to happen and the way we've laid it out, and your EDPs of sales are saying, well, that's what I expect. And Chris, what you're saying is instead of you trying to push the rock up the hill, you enable with the content, but you try to enable sales management, sales leadership to drive it because that's going to that's gonna make it stick. Right, but I'd echo what Kimberly said too. In order to do that, you need to remove something from their plate because you yeah. just can't pile another thing on top. Make sure you consciously work with them to remove something that they acknowledge was removed so that you mm -hmm. can then set up a cadence with them that says, okay, now you can fit in this training aspect that you may not have had time to do before. So that is an interesting point. I, I don't think, and I don't see a lot of organizations when they're going to roll something out, either symbolically or actually say, I'm removing X, and that has freed up whatever, three hours a month that we need you to devote to this webinar, this training, this new product launch preparation. So I, I think your the listeners are going to get a lot from that. So if I can shift... We'll move into data management, which I know is, is big data, and the use of it is something that's top of mind for everybody. Kimberly, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, just in some of the quick wins you've already implemented it on. So maybe I'll start with you, and the question I would have for you is around this aggregation of data. So, so how do you 
take data from multiple sources, bring it all together to ensure that it's accurate and actionable to run the business for you and for your EVP of the sales. Yeah, so this has definitely been a significant challenge, again, as well as a productivity drain. And it's a key driver from my perspective on why we're implementing what I call better business intelligence tools. You know, traditional data reporting tends to require all data to be centralized, well-organized, well-defined in a single data warehouse. But in, in instances like on or where there's been 10 to 12 acquisitions in the last 10 years, that's not a realistic expectation. And some of the modern business intelligence tools are actually made to access data from multiple disparate systems and present them in an actionable format. So I've experienced some great success with these newer tools, and, and I believe they're game-changing because in lieu of that, you're going to have an army of Excel experts that pull data into Excel and pivot the heck out of it, and that's just not a sustainable business model with the high cost of resources and from a productivity standpoint. Mm, good. Okay, so then let's take that, I guess, Chris, and take it one step further. How do you then manage, how are you managing the forecasting process in, you know, a 2014 sales organization that's as large as yours, and have you changed your approach? You know, and if so, how? Yeah, we manage it, um, you know, probably pretty much like all the rest of the folks on the call are where we're using Salesforce.com as our base system and, you know, the forecasts are driven from there and then rolled up and then there's monthly calls with the sales leadership that kind of walk through those for, you know, the high level set points, obviously. You know, you'd love to think you're accurate on any given day, but I think they become a lot more accurate about 24 hours before that phone call. Um, <laughs> it was 72 hours of prep to get there. But, but that yeah. said, one of the changes we have done, we have a large interrelationship between our national sales and our local sales. There's a lot of our customers who are our big enterprise or national accounts have a lot of local sites that are managed by the local sales team. So previously, we had the local sales team forecasting and the national sales team forecasting, and trying to delineate and separate those two was you know, always a nightmare from on high and also even from execution in the field because the local guys are always bothering the national guys, you know, when is this thing going to come? And, you know, you've got different answers at different points in the organization. So we've changed that to have national govern it. And, you know, the field felt a little bit taken out of the process, but at the same time, you know, we kind of separated into that which you manage and that which you directly influence versus that which you secondarily influence. And, and that's been definitely a credit to our accuracy. Um, the other thing that we've done is, you know, we've tacitly allowed the managers to overcome the uh, over-exuberance of some of their team. Before, we always managed it down to the rep level, and the rep level was responsible for moving the thing along in the sales process until it was a forecastable opportunity, and we'd roll those up and roll those up. Now we've given this ability to the managers to just pull a certain percentage out of forecast. You know, we control that so that they don't completely disrupt the process, but, you know, yeah. we allow them to, to pick and choose some of the opportunities where they think the sales rep might be a little over-exuberant about what's forecastable. So, Chris, did you, and I know that was uh, probably an evolutionary step, not revolutionary, so for those listening in, 
did you get to that over a period of a couple of years of sort of trusting, you know, you got to Ryder, I don't know, four and a half, five years ago. Was that over a period of time of starting to trust that the frontline manager had the ability to manage the forecast? Or was it so much noise in the field that you guys just finally said, okay, forget it, we'll trust the manager, and instead of trying to get 500 people, you know, we'll deal with 50? Yeah, no, definitely an evolutionary process, as you pointed out. I mean, we went all the way from, believe it or not, you know, in an organization of our size, even post-implementation of solid adhered to sales process and salesforce.com, still these guys are doing it on spreadsheets, right? Because yeah. that, you know, that was the way they've always done it. So, yes, definitely, definitely evolutionary, kind of from the, the Cro-Magnon, everybody submits the spreadsheet, <laughs> even, you know, whether it's in Salesforce or not, to getting them to Salesforce, to getting them to move the opportunities along, to getting them to migrate to the methods that we've migrated to, and, and getting them to own it, you know, getting each frontline sales manager to run it like it's their own business. Forget about the fact that you have to because you have to. You have to because you own the business, right? And if you owned a business, you'd be damn sure know exactly how many people were planning to come in your restaurant that weekend and how much food you're going to yeah. order and, you know, whatever business you ran. So we try and influence that on the local level. Okay, good. That's, that's very helpful. So let me pivot a little bit because we're mid-July and the annual planning process is going to begin before we know it. And for some, it has that you know 75% of companies run a calendar fiscal year. And that's a big pain that troubles sales operations. So Kimberly, I'll start with you on this one. Okay, What's well, I your experience with the full uh, fiscal, new fiscal year <laughs> cycle it on based on my newness. But you know, in my past, about four to six months before the fiscal year begins, it's really but one of the key challenges is the sales incentive plan, which, which falls under my camp. And but really doing the analysis of did your sales incentive plan drive or reward the right behaviors and trying to understand that. And I think that sometimes you can get complacent and be in go mode that you don't take the time to say, gosh, do my metrics still align with the corporate objectives? Have the corporate objectives changed? Do I need to forecast accuracy, is that where I want it to be, Are there, is there some variability there that we can maybe build into new metrics, have we achieved our account plans, and really trying to look early enough where you have time to make those adjustments, whether it's even changes in your Salesforce structure, do you have your right people in the right seat on the bus, do I have the right rewards programs in place, and those things definitely four to six months before your fiscal year, because you have to vet those plans out, you have to kind of you know, socialize those with the stakeholders, do training, change your systems. You can't just do those things last minute. So those are the types of things that I think of when I think of entering a new fiscal year. Hmm. So Chris, how about, how about you? Kimberly talked about a couple of things I heard her say was time, right, when she begins. This alignment with corporate objectives, that's an interesting point because I don't know if everybody in sales off steps back and says, okay, if the corporate strategy is X, which means the sales strategy is Y, down to the field level, that means this. So what should I be thinking about? So Chris, you, you've done this you know, many, many times. Thoughts on what your process is for preparing for a new year and when you begin, what you do, et cetera? Yeah, so we always begin too late, <laughs> <laughs> which I need to be honest here, guys, because probably everybody yeah. thinks the same thought, right? I mean, you should probably begin in February, you know, as soon as you roll out the <laughs> 
to plan for the kids for the current year um, if the world were right. But yeah, we definitely stay very tight to the process that you just said, Matt, about kind of the high-level strategy going down to the sales executables, going down to kind of what needs to change, and then what do we need to make that change, whether it's headcount, structure, can really mention incentive changes, training, etc. But realistically, to get a head start in it, I mean, I find it we need to anticipate the ask. And what I mean by that is if I waited for the strategy document, which comes out, you know, at my organization somewhere around October in its earliest form, you're already too late. So trying to sort of anticipate what we believe the the corporate strategy is going to be for the for the coming year and at least try and make some preparations around that and, and look at what might need to change to get there. Mm. So Chris, do you have, so that's an interesting point, so you got to have some context and a little bit of anticipation. Do you have a two or three things that are always on your list that, that you go after or have you seen it year to year have these wild swings? You know, one thing that I think not, never changes is, is the need to grow. So I don't think any organization in sales says, you know, we're going to have a nice even year here this year, right? So I think always anticipating that growth and always anticipating what do I need to grow. And is it headcount? I know that's always a really difficult ask, right? Is it changing the text of what the headcount I have today is doing? Is it motivating them in a different way, right? But but always, I think that's a constant, so I tend to hang on that constant. Got it. Okay, very good. So my last question will be kind of a, an, an open question for each of you. So Chris, I'll start with you, and then we'll finish with Kimberly. If there was one obstacle, one thing standing in your way right now, of getting your role done. A, what is it? And B, what are you trying to do to get around it? Yeah, I think the biggest, well, you know, as I was saying earlier, I think that one of the biggest obstacles across sales operations is just an, an underestimation and as such maybe an underutilization of the strategic value. And, and Kimberly touched on it earlier as well, but that maybe even the wrong people are in the seat sometimes because if you focus on reporting and lagging indicators, you know, by the time you report on it, it's basically too late to do anything about it. So I think probably the biggest element I try to get out of the way in the obstacle is to focus my boss, who you know him well, but, you know, any sales leader, try and get them to focus on one or two elements that can realistically have an in-year impact. And to be real about that impact, you know, I usually use a, a somewhat conservative half-year convention. Don't kid yourself that whatever you decided in November is going to be the new thing you're going to roll out in the kickoff meeting in January is going to be delivering effective 100% results in February. Because if you do, you're going to be disappointed, right? So I think it's just staying small, you know, executing on something that can really get done and, and staying focused. So I like that. I like that kind of half year. Well, you said in year, and then I also heard you say half year and keeping everybody on point. So Kimberly, maybe we'll we'll finish up with you and hit the ball over. Thoughts on on, on the one obstacle standing in your way or in sales ops way, you know, inside your organization of making the biggest impact. Yeah, I'm going to do something with more of a short term obstacle because there's a short, mid, and a long term, but. I think one of the things that we face, I see my team facing, and I also have all of pricing and pricing operations un under my team. So 
that comes into play maybe more from this statement, but I think it's the conflicting objectives with other organizations, or in some cases the perception that we have conflicting metrics and conflicting objectives, growth versus profitable growth, mm. those types of things. But in order to you know, overcome those, you know, taking time to pre-align, that mid-year goes back to that first thing about the annual planning, pre-aligning between sales and the business view, what are the design win assumptions, what are the account level growth assumptions, the channel growth assumptions, it's just really trying to understand those. But you know, when you take the time to really force that stakeholder involvement in those stakeholder meetings regarding the key initiatives, I think you start to understand each other's perspective a little bit better and use kind of some of the same, same words, the same definitions of the same words. And I think you become a little more collaborative because healthy tension is always good between the different organizations. It's really trying to find what is that flex point where that minor bit of healthy tension is actually productive versus becoming an obstacle. Yeah. So I guess first off, I want to thank you both for great insight. If I was to, to summarize as I look at both of you in this chief of staff role, you know, this right hand where you play a very strategic role, but you're still responsible and your teams are responsible for driving tactical execution. A couple key trends that I heard today was one on around data and the use of the right data and the right reports real time so people can make decisions. You know, Chris, you talked about the forecast and the sales process. Kimberly, you talked about pricing negotiation. The second thing you guys talked about was understanding that you, you're never going to get away for some of these short-term demands. You guys both have internal customers, which is the field. And I think the way that you both manage that and gave some good advice today on, on how to help both with field execution but also putting the right data in their hands to make decisions was critical. So. Thank you very much to both of you for taking the time to spend with us on the podcast. For those of you that are, are listening to this, both Kimberly and Chris are, are easily accessible through their LinkedIn profiles, and they've been kind enough to spend time with us. So on behalf of SBI and all our listeners, I appreciate it. So thanks very much, you guys.